Chapters twenty one and twenty two of Stories from Virgil. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Stories from Virgil by Alfred J. Church. Chapters twenty one and twenty two. Chapter twenty one The Battle at the Camp. And now the trumpet gave the signal for battle. First the Volscians drew near to the wall. These held their shields over their heads, joining them in close array, so that they were like unto the shell of a tortoise. And they that bare them filled the moat and pulled down the wall. And some would have mounted the walls on ladders, while the men of Troy cast spears at them and thrust at them with poles, being indeed well used to the manner of such a fight from walls. But on the covering of shields they threw down a huge block, breaking it through and scattering the men who would not indeed fight any more in such fashion, but cast all manner of javelins and the like against the men of Troy. And Mezentius, the Tuscan, came on, shaking a lighted torch of pine in his hand, and Messapus tore down the rampart and called for a scaling-ladder that he might mount up into the breach. Now there was a tower upon the wall which the Italians sought to take, and the men of Troy to defend it cast stones and darts through the loopholes thereof. On to this Turnus cast a torch, setting fire to the wall, and the flame, the wind fanning it, climbed from story to story, and when they that were therein fled to the part that was yet unconsumed, lo, the whole tower fell forward, and all perished, two only escaping, Helenor and Lycus. And Helenor was the elder, and when he saw that the enemy was about him on every side, then, even as a beast which the hunters compass about with a great ring waxeth desperate and flingeth himself over the nets upon their spears, so he threw himself on the ranks of the Latins, where the spears were thickest, and so died. But Lycus was very swift of foot, and won even as far as the wall, and would fain have climbed thereon. But Turnus caught him, crying, Thinkest thou to escape me? And he laid hands upon him as he hung from the wall, dragging down much wall likewise, even as an eagle seizes a swan or a wolf a lamb. So he seized him. Then did the battle wax fiercer and fiercer, and many fell on this side and on that, for Ilioneus smote Lucidius when he would have set fire to the gates, and Capus slew Privernus and Mezentius, having cast away his spear, smote the son of Arsens with a bullet of lead from his sling. And now Iulus, having used his bow aforetime on beasts of the field only, now first drew it against a man, even against Numinus, who had to wife the sister of Turnus. For this Numinus, thinking himself to be some great one, stood in the front rank, and defied the men of Troy, saying, are ye not ashamed, ye that have already been twice conquered, now to be besieged again? What madness brought you to Italy? We are a hardy race, for our new-born babes are dipped in the stream, and our boys are hunters in the woods. And when we be men, our hands are ever on the ploughshare or the sword, yea, and old age subdues us not. For when our hair is white, yet do we cover it with the helmet. But ye with your mantles of purple and saffron, and sleeved tunics, and ribboned mitres, lovers of sleep and of the dance, ye men, nay, rather ye women of Phrygia, what do ye hear? But the young Iulus endured not to hear such boasting. He fixed an arrow in his bow, and drew the string, which was of horsehair, 
and ere he let fly he cried to jupiter help me now great father so will i bring year by year to thy temple a steer with gilded horns and jupiter heard and thundered on the left hand and now together with the thunder clanged the bowstring sending death and the arrow hissed in the air and smote numinous through the head even from temple to temple this is the answer that the twice conquered men of troy send thee so cried the young iulus and all the people shouted for joy and apollo where he sat in heaven and regarded the battle spake go thou on as thou beginnest child and father of gods tis thus that the race of troy shall hereafter bring all wars to an end then he came down from heaven into the camp of troy and took upon himself the shape of the old man Butus. he had been aforetime the armour-bearer of anchises and now followed iulus and the god spake saying it is enough that thou hast slain the boaster numinous the archer apollo envieth thee not this glory but tempt the battle no more so saying he vanished out of their sight but the chiefs knew him who he was yea and heard the rattle of his quiver as he departed and they suffered not iulus to draw his bow again but all the more the battle raged along the walls now there were two youths sons of alcanor of mount ida tall as pine trees and their names were pandarus and bitius these having charge of the gate opened it and standing on the right hand and on the left even as towers bade the enemy enter and many of these seeing the open gate rushed forward but fell slain upon the threshold and now the men of troy took heart and pressed on beyond the walls but when turnus heard tidings of these things he made haste to the gate and first he slew antiphates who was a son of sarpedon and others also and bitius himself with them not with a javelin did he slay him no javelin had done such deed but with a great spear of saguntum having a point of a cubit's length through two bulls hides it passed and two folds of his coat of mail with a great crash he fell and his shield upon him even as falls a great pile which men set up in the bay of bailly so bitius fell and pandarus his brother seeing that things fared ill with the men of troy shut to the gate thrusting it into its place with his broad shoulders many of his companions he left without among their enemies and many he shut in but being blind with haste and fear he saw not that he shut in among them prince turnus himself but turnus raged for blood as a tiger rageth among herds of cattle and the men of troy fled before him but pandarus feared not to meet him hoping also that he should have vengeance for his brother and he cried this is not thy city of ardea but the camp of thy enemies hence thou goest not forth but turnus made answer begin if thou hast any valour in thy heart thou shalt find another achilles here then pandarus cast a great spear with a knotted staff whereon the bark was left but juno turned it aside so that it fixed itself in the gate and turnus said my weapon thou escapest not thus nor maketh my hand such error and he lifted his sword rising to the blow and cleft the man's head so that it fell divided upon his shoulders then indeed if only turnus had bethought him to open the gate that the latins should come in there had come an end that day to the war and to the whole nation of troy but he thought not of it caring only to slay the enemy many did he smite 
some on the back as they fled, and some in front. Among them Amicus the hunter, and Clytius the singer, whom the muses loved. But now the chiefs of Troy, Menestheus and Sergestus, began to gather the people together, and to make head against Turnus. And Menestheus cried, Whither will you flee? Have ye any walls beside? Shall one man work such slaughter in the city? Have you no thought, ye cowards, for your king? Then the men of Troy took heart again, and joined themselves in close array, so that Turnus could not but give way before them. Just so a lion is driven back by a crowd of men. Frightened is he, yet fierce withal, and his courage suffereth him not to flee, yet, so many are against him, he dareth not to stand. Even thus did Turnus give way. Twice he turned and put the men of Troy to flight, and twice they mastered him. For the helmet on his head rang with the javelins, and was broken with stones, and the crest was stricken off, and the shield was shattered with blows, and the sweat poured off from him, and scarce could he breathe, till at the last, having now come to the river, he plunged therein, and so returned to his companions. And still the battle grew fiercer and fiercer about the walls, and the ring of them that defended the camp grew thinner and thinner. There stood Asius, the son of Embrasus, and Clarus, and Theamon, brothers of Sarpedon the Lycian, and Acmon, the brother of Menestheus, and others with them. And in the midst stood the young Iulus, with his comely head uncovered, like to a jewel that is set in gold or ivory, or that is compassed about with boxwood or terebinth. CHAPTER Twenty Two: THE BATTLE ON THE SHORE in the meanwhile Aeneas had made alliance with Tarchon and the Tuscans, for when he had expounded all things to Tarchon their chief, telling him with all whence he had come, the people, believing that all things were now fulfilled as the gods would have them, followed him willingly. Now, therefore, he was returning to the camp, leading the way in his ship, on the prow whereof were two lions, and above them the image of the goddess Ida. Pallas also sat beside him and asked him now concerning the stars by which men guide their ways at night, and now concerning the things which he had himself endured by land and sea. After him came Massicus in the Tiger, with whom were a thousand men from Clusium and Cosi, and Abbas with six hundred from Populonia, and from Ilva rich in mines three hundred more. Asilus also, the soothsayer, came leading a thousand men from Pisa, and Aster, the fairest of men, with three hundred from Siri, and from the cornfields of Minio, and from Pyrgi. Also the Ligurians came, with Cinerus, son of Sickness, who had for his crest swan-feathers, and his ship was called the Centaur. And Ocnus came from Mantua, in the Mincius, and five hundred with him, and Aulestes in the Triton. And the number of the ships was thirty in all. And now the night had fallen, and as Aeneas sat at the helm, for care suffered him not to sleep, lo, there appeared to him a troop of nymphs, which once had been his ships. And one of these, by name Simodosia, came behind and caught the stern of the ship with her right hand, swimming meanwhile with the left. Then she spake, saying, Wakest thou, son of the goddess? We are pines of Mount Ida, once thy ships, but now changed to nymphs, when Turnus would have burned us with fire. Know that thy son is besieged in the camp. 
Arm thyself, therefore, with the arms which Vulcan hath wrought for thee. To-morrow thou shalt lay many Latins low in death. And as she spake she pushed the ship with her hand, and it sped along through the waters, and the rest also with it. And when the day was come, Aeneas commanded that all should make them ready for battle. And now the camp was in his sight, as he stood on the stern and lifted in his left hand a flashing shield. Much did the men of Troy rejoice to see that sight, and shouted amain, and Turnus and his companions marvelled, till they looked behind them, and, lo, the sea was covered with ships, and in the midst was Aeneas. And it was as if a flame poured forth from his helmet and his shield, bright as is a comet, when it shines in the night-time red as blood, or as the dog-star in the hot summer-tide, with baleful light bringing fevers to the race of men. Yet did not Turnus lose heart, but would occupy the shore, and hinder from landing those that came. Wherefore he cried, Now have ye that which ye wished for. Lo, the enemy hides not himself behind a wall, but meets us face to face. Remember wife and child and home and the great deeds of your fathers. Let us meet them on the shore, ere yet their footing is firm. And he thought within himself who should watch the walls, and who should meet the enemy when he would gain the shore. But in the meanwhile Aeneas landed his men on gangways from the ships, and some leapt on shore, having watched for the ebb of the waves, and some ran along the oars. Tarchon also, the Etrurian, having spied a place where the sea broke not in waves, commanded his men that they should beach the ships, which indeed they did without harm. Only the ship of Tarchon himself was caught upon a ridge, and the men thrown therefrom. Yet these also, after a while, got safe to the shore. Then did Aeneas do great deeds against the enemy, for first he slew Theron, who surpassed all men in stature, smiting through his coat of mail, and Sisius, and Gaius, who wielded clubs after the manner of Hercules. Sons were they of Melampus, who had borne Hercules' company in all his labours. Then the sons of Phorcus came against him, seven in number, and they cast at him seven spears, whereof some rebounded from his shield, and some grazed his body, but harmed him not. Then cried Aeneas to Achates, Give me spears enough. Spears which have slain the Greeks on the fields of Troy shall not be cast in vain against these Latins. Then of the seven he slew Meon and Alcanor, for the spear pierced the breastplate and heart of Meon, and when Alcanor would have held him up, passed through his arm, and yet kept on its way. And many others fell on this side and on that, for they fought with equal fortune. On the very threshold of Italy they fought, and neither would the Italians give place nor yet the men of Troy, for foot was planted close to foot, and man stood fast by man. In another part of the battle Pallas fought with his Arcadians, and when he saw that they fled, not being wont to fight on foot, for by reason of the ground they had sent away their horses, he cried, Now by the name of your king Evander, and by my hope that I may win praise like unto his, I beseech you that ye trust not to your feet. Ye must make your way through the enemy with your swords. Where the crowd is the thickest, follow me. Nor have ye now gods against you. These are but mortal men, ye see. And he rushed into the midst of the enemy. First he smote Lagos with his spear, even as he was lifting a great stone from the earth. In the back he smote him, and having smitten him, strove to draw forth the spear, and while he strove 
His bow would have slain him, but Pallas was aware of his coming, and pierced him in the breast with his sword. Next he slew the twin brothers, Larides and Thimber. Very like they were, and it pleased father and mother that they knew not the one from the other. But Pallas made a cruel difference between them, for from Thimber he struck off the head, and from Larides the right hand, and after these he slew Rhetus, as he fled past him in his chariot. And now even as a shepherd sets fire to a wood, and the flames are borne along by the wind, so Pallas, and his Arcadians following, raged through the battle. And when Halesus, the companion of Agamemnon, would have stayed them, Pallas, first praying to father Tiber, smote him through the breast with a spear, that he died. Then came to the help of the Latins Lausus, the son of King Mezentius, and slew Abbas of Populonia, and others also. Then the battle was equal for a space, for Pallas supported it on one side and Lausus on the other. Fair were they both to behold and of equal age, and for both it was ordained that they should not return to their native country. Yet they met not in battle, seeing that the doom of each was that he should fall by a greater hand. And now the nymph Juturna, who was sister to Turnus, bade her brother haste to the help of Lausus, and when he was come he cried to the Latins, Give place! I only will deal with Pallas. I would that his father were here to see. Much did Pallas marvel to behold him, and to see the men give place. But, being no whit afraid, he went forth into the space between the hosts, and the blood of the Arcadians ran cold when they saw him go. Then Turnus leapt from his chariot, for he would meet him on foot, and first Pallas prayed, saying, O Hercules, if thou wast indeed my father's guest, help me to-day. And Hercules heard him where he sat in heaven, and wept because he could avail nothing. Then said Father Jupiter, My son, the days of men are numbered yet may they live for ever by noble deeds. This at least can valour do. Did not many sons of the gods fall at Troy? Yea, and my own Sarpedon, and for Turnus too the day of doom is at hand. And he turned his eyes from the battle. Then Pallas cast his spear with all his might. Through the shield of Turnus it passed, and through the corslet, yea, and grazed the top of his shoulder. Then Turnus balanced his spear a while, and said, This, methinks, shall better make its way and he cast it. Through the shield, through the stout bull's hide, and through the folds of bronze it passed, and through the corselet, and pierced the breast of Pallas from front to back. And Pallas tore from the wound the reeking steel, and the blood gushed out, and the life therewith. Then Turnus stood above the corpse, and said, Men of Arcadia, tell these my words to Evander. Pallas I sent him back, even as he deserved that I should send him. I grudge him not due honours of burial, yet of a truth the friendship of Aeneas hath cost him dear. Then he put his foot upon the body, and dragged therefrom the belt, great and heavy it was, and Clonius had wrought thereon in gold the deed of the fifty daughters of Danaeus, how they slew their husbands in one night. But even then the time was very near when Turnus would wish that he had left that spoil untouched, and afterwards, with much groaning and weeping, the companions of Pallas laid him upon a shield, and bare him back. And now tidings came to Aeneas that it fared ill with his men, and that Pallas was slain. Across the field he sped, and all his heart was full of wrath against Turnus, and pity for the old man Evander. And first he took alive eight youths, whom he should slay upon the tomb. 
Then he cast his spear at Lagos, but Lagos avoided it by craft, and rushed forward, and caught him by the knees, beseeching him by the spirit of his father, and the hopes of Iulus, that he would spare him, and take a ransom for his life. But Aeneas made answer, Talk not of sparing, nor of ransom, for to all courtesy of war there is an end now that Turnus hath slain Pallas. And he caught the man's helmet with his left hand, and bending back his neck, thrust in the sword up to the hilt. And many other valiant chiefs he slew, as Hemenides, priest of Phoebus and Diana, and Tarquitus, son of Faunus, and dark Camers, son of Vulsens. And now there met him two brethren on one chariot, Lucagus and Liger. And Liger, who indeed drave the horses, cried aloud, These are not the horses of Diomed, nor this the chariot of Achilles, from which thou mayest escape. Lo, the end of thy battles, and thy life, is come. But Aeneas spake not, but cast his spear, and even as Lucagus made himself ready for battle, it sped through his shield, and pierced his thigh. Then he fell dying on the plain. And Aeneas cried, mocking him, Thy horses are not slow to flee, nor frightened by a shadow. Of thine own will thou leavest thy chariot. And he caught the horses by the head. Then Liger stretched out his hands to him in supplication, saying, I beseech thee, by thy parents, have pity upon me. But Aeneas made answer, Nay, but thou spakest not thus before. Die, and desert not thy brother. And he thrust the sword into his breast. Thus did Aeneas deal death through the host, even as he had been the giant Typhius with the hundred hands. And when Iulus and the men of Troy beheld him, they broke forth from the camp. And now Juno bethought her how she might save Turnus, whom she loved. So she caused that there should pass before his eyes an image as of Aeneas, which seemed to defy him to battle. And when Turnus would have fought, lo, the false Aeneas fled, and Turnus followed him. Now there chanced to be lying moored to a great rock a certain ship, on which King Asinius had come from Clusium. Into this the false Aeneas fled, and Turnus followed hard upon him, but found not the man. And when he looked, Juno had burst the moorings of the ship, and the sea was about him on every side. Then he cried, What have I done, great Jupiter, that I should suffer such shame? What think the Latins of my flight? Drown me, ye winds and waves, or drive me where no man may see me more. Thrice he would have cast himself into the sea, thrice would he have slain himself with the sword. But Juno forbade, and brought him safe to the city of Donus, his father. In the meanwhile King Mezentius joined the battle. Nor could the men of Troy, nor yet the Tuscans, stay him. Many valiant men he slew, as Mimas, whom his mother Theano, bare the same night that Hecuba bare Paris to King Priam. And Actor, a Greek, who had left his promised wife, and carried her purple favour in his helmet, and tall Orides. Orides, indeed, was flying, but the king deigned not to slay him in his flight, but met him face to face and smote him. Also when Orides cried, Whoever thou art, thou goest not long unpunished, a like doom awaits thee, and in this land shalt thou find thy grave. Mezentius laughed, and made answer, Die thou, but let the king of gods and men see to me. But after a while Aeneas spied Mezentius as he fought, and made haste to meet him. Nor did the king give place, but cried, Now may this right hand and the spear which I wield be my gods, and help me. And he cast his spear, 
It smote the shield of Aeneas, but pierced it not. Yet did it not fly in vain, for glancing off it smote Antores in the side, Antores who once had been comrade to Hercules, and afterwards followed Evander. Now he fell, and in his death remembered the city which he loved, even Argos. Then in his turn Aeneas cast his spear. Through the bull's hide shield it passed, wounding the king in the groin, but not to death. And Aeneas was right glad to see the blood flow forth, and drew his sword and pressed on. And Mezentius, much cumbered with the spear and the wound, gave place. But when Lausus his son saw this, he groaned aloud and leapt forward, and took the blow upon his sword. And his companions followed him with a shout, and cast their spears at Aeneas, staying him till Mezentius had gotten himself safe away. And Aeneas stood a while under the shower of spears, even as a traveller stands hiding himself from a storm. Then he cried to Lausus, What seekest thou, madman? Why venturest thou that which thy strength may not endure? But Lausus heeded him not at all, but still pressed on. Then the heart of Aeneas was filled with wrath, and the day was come for Lausus that he should die. For the king smote him with his sword. Through shield it passed, and tunic woven with gold, and was hidden to the hilt in his body. And Aeneas pitied him as he lay dead, bethinking him how he too would fain have died for his father, and spake, saying, What shall Aeneas give thee, unhappy boy, for this thy nobleness? Keep thy arms, in which thou hadst such delight, and let thy father care as he will for thy body, and take this comfort in thy death that thou fallest by the hand of the great Aeneas. Then he lifted him from the earth, and bade his companions carry him away. In the meantime his father tended his wounds, leaning on the trunk of a tree by the Tiber bank. His helmet hung from a branch, and his arms lay upon the ground, while his followers stood around, and ever he asked tidings of Lausus, and sent those who should bid him return. But when they brought back his body on a shield, his father knew it from afar, and threw dust upon his white hair, and fell upon the body, crying, Had I such desire to live, my son, that I suffered thee to meet in my stead the sword of the enemy? Am I saved by these wounds? Do I live by thy death? And indeed, my son, I did dishonour to thee by my misdeeds. Would that I had given my guilty life for thine! But indeed I die. Nevertheless not yet, for I have first somewhat that I must do. Then he raised himself on his thigh, and commanded that they should bring his horse, his pride it was and comfort, and had borne him conqueror for many fights. Very sad was the beast, and he spake to it, saying, O Rebus, thou and I have lived long enough, if indeed aught on earth be long. To-day thou shalt bring back the head and the arms of Aeneas, and so avenge my Lausus, or thou shalt die with me, for a Trojan master thou wilt not, I know, endure. Then he mounted the horse, and took spears in both his hands, and so hasted to meet Aeneas. Thrice he called him by name, and Aeneas rejoiced to hear his voice, and cried, Now may Jupiter and Apollo grant that this be true. Begin the fight. And Mezentius made answer, Seek not to make afraid. Thou canst do me no harm now that thou hast slain my son. I am come to die. But take thou first this gift. And he cast his spear, and then another and yet another, as he rode in a great circle about the enemy. But they break not the boss of gold. And Aeneas stood firm, bearing the forest of spears in his shield. But at last, 
issuing forth in anger from behind his shield, he cast his spear, and smote the war-horse Rebus between his temples. Then the horse reared himself, and lashed the air with his feet, and fell with his rider beneath him. And the men of Troy and the Latins sent up a great shout. Then Aeneas hasted, and drew his sword, and stood above him, crying, Where is the fierce Mezentius now? And the king said, when he breathed again, Why threatenest thou me with death? Slay me. Thou wrongest me not. I made no covenant with thee for life, nor did my Lausus when he died for me. Yet grant me this one thing. Thou knowest how my people hateth me. Keep my body, I pray thee, from them, that they do it no wrong. And let my son be buried with me in my grave. And he gave his throat to the sword, and feared not. End of chapters 21 and 22. Recording by Bill Borst.